You are listening to the Sermon Podcast for Triumph Lutheran Brethren Church. Our vision is to see the life and message of Jesus transform hearts, homes, and cities. Wherever you are, our prayer is that God would meet you and that the life and message of Jesus would transform your life. To find more resources, go to triumphlbc.org. Well, good morning. If we haven't met, my name is Doug. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at uh, Triumph. It's good to be with you as we open up the Word today. And I want to start with um, uh, a phrase that some of you are going to recognize. All right? So if you recognize it, just raise your hand. Tell me you've heard this one before. Uh, the phrase goes something like this. I'm debt free! Anybody who recognizes that one? Okay, well... That phrase was made famous, is made famous, by, uh, by an individual named Dave Ramsey, financial guru. He, uh, he has made his life's mission to help people get out of debt and transform how they handle their money. All right, and as he, uh, as he has done that, when, when, uh, when people are debt-free, they come onto his radio program, his television program, and they get to scream, I'm debt-free. And uh, so he made that famous. What he did is he created a process uh, to help people understand their money and, and get, a, get, their, get their heads around how to spend it and then how to get out of debt. He calls them the baby steps. I think there's seven of them, if I remember correctly. And so you walk through these different steps, you and your family, and the idea is that you control your spending, you, you, you know what's happening with it, and then you can use money to pay off the debts that you have. And he, again, for, for 30 years, he's been doing this. He started with a book and a radio program, and he grew it into a multi-multi-million dollar company helping people with their finances. And hundreds of thousands of people have read his book, listened to him, watched his content, and had their lives changed by following his process. And in the end, many of them scream, I'm debt free. We're going to come back to Dave in just a moment. But as we, uh, as we, as we look at our text today, one of, before we look at our text today, one of the things to, to think about is in this month of January, we are spending uh, some time kind of thinking through and re- revisiting again what it means to be triumph. What are the things that are core and essential to us as a church? But as we do this, it's not just us as a church, it's us as followers of Jesus. What is essential and important for us? So as a church, we have our mission statement. We have our vision statement. We have our core values. And I gotta be honest with you, as a leader of the church and one who's kind of got some responsibilities to make decisions and get things done around here, I really appreciate these statements. Because it's often that we need to go back and evaluate the things that we do. And we're asking questions, are we doing things well? Well, to know if we're doing things well, we're going to go back and we're going to say, are we doing these things? Are we seeing these things happen? Then we're going to ask questions of, are we doing the right things? Do things that we're doing today need to be dropped because they aren't helping with this? Or are we missing things? We need to add new things to do this. I find these to be very, very helpful. So we have our mission and our vision and our core values, and we also have this statement of purpose which uh, uh, unpacks a little bit more of it. And this is what we're looking at as we uh, spend our time this particular January uh, of 2024 is to look through our statement of purpose. Because we do exist as a local expression, a local congregation of a larger body of Christ. 
God has placed us right here in the Fargo-Moorhead area. We are here in Moorhead. We're here in West Fargo. We're in this community. He's placed us here. And if we're going to do the things that we are called to do, if we're going to be about the things that God has given us, we believe that as a, as a body, we need to be worshiping. We need to be growing in the Lord. We need to be caring for one another. And we need to be telling a community around us the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. We do these things. We're going to see hearts, homes, and cities transform. And we are going to be sharing the good news uh, in Jesus Christ as he's changing our lives. These things are going to happen. So today we're talking uh, about discipleship. But I feel like before we get too far into this, somewhere along the line we need to do a little bit of a, a, of a definition. And the reason is discipleship, it's a very churchy word, right? How many of you guys walk around the workplace and use discipleship at least once, twice a day? Anybody? No one, right? We don't walk around our neighborhoods talking to our neighbors about discipleship. It's a churchy thing. So what does this look like? What does this mean? Probably different definitions we could use, and a lot of them are going to be very good. I found this one in one of my churchy books. So we're going to go with this one for today, all right? So here it is. The definition would be this. Someone, a disciple, is someone who follows another person or another way of life and who submits himself or herself to the discipline or to the teaching of that leader or of that way. All right, so two big verbs in there that we'll, we'll pull out. One of them is gonna be a follower. They're gonna follow somebody. So first of all, it implies that we know who or what we are following, that we're actually paying attention, that as we walk through life, we know who we're following. And the second implication of that is that they're worthy of being followed. That we're intentionally choosing to do things a certain way. We're intentionally choosing to submit ourselves under that. So we are finding someone worthy of following. We're following them, which means we secondly submit. That there's a change in life. We, we do things differently we say things differently. We think about things differently because of the one that we're following. And when we have to make a choice between doing things our way or doing the way that the person that we're following says to do them, we choose the person that we're following because they're worthy of being followed. So we follow and we submit. Discipleship is not just a churchy thing. Discipleship happens all over in our own lives. Let's double back to our buddy Dave Ramsey for a moment. Dave Ramsey has developed a system, and the system says it will produce certain results. Hundreds of thousands of people have found him, have listened to him, and decided that he is worthy of being followed. And so they submit themselves to the way, the baby steps, that he has laid out because they desire the end. Now, I'm not saying Dave Ramsey's Jesus. What I'm saying is that discipleship happens everywhere. You and I are disciples in many different ways. 
You think about it, there is an entire industry that has developed probably over the last five to six years around discipleship, but we don't call it discipleship. We call it influencing. There is an influencer industry that exists. And here's how the influencer works. It started probably back in the days of blogs when people would do writing, and it's transitioned into a lot of the social media, so we'll see Instagram influencers and TikTok influencers and people who gather a following and then instruct you and tell you how to live a certain lifestyle, right? And in the process, they're gonna tell you what to buy, they're gonna tell you what to wear, they're gonna tell you how to do the things, how to cook the food, how to do the exercises, they make an entire living telling us how to do things. And their followers found that person on TikTok. They found them worthy of being followed. And so they have submitted their lives to the teaching of that influencer. They're being discipled. Right? So we see it in, in teachers. We see it in the influencers. We see it in ways of life. There are people who have altered their lifestyle because of dietary, and not necessarily needs, but they've chosen a certain way of eating, and they do all the research because they found a certain way of eating. They believe it worthy of living that way, and so they have submitted all of their junk food out the door and have served a certain way to eat. They submit themselves to that way of eating. Happens with exercise. Any of you, anybody in here, a CrossFitter? You are some of the best disciples that we have in America right now. And I mean that with just the greatest amount of respect. You want to see how to evangelize well? Look at CrossFitters. Because they have submitted themselves to a way of life, a way of exercise. And then they tell the whole world about it. And they do it really well. I have a lot of respect for CrossFitters. I maybe need to do some of it. We submit ourselves. When you find someone worthy of following, you submit yourself to that way. Discipleship happens all over our world. So when we ask questions like, what does it mean to be a disciple? How, do we, how are we disciples? You're a disciple of many different people, many different ways. We're doing this already. Discipleship is not a churchy thing only. But discipleship is absolutely a churchy thing. Because we have found someone, and we have found someone worthy of following, and so we submit our ways, our desires, to follow in the footsteps of the one who is worthy of being followed. Jesus is worthy of being followed. So, with that very short introduction, my time's almost up. All right, we're gonna go to the text. If you have your Bibles, we're gonna read the text that, that uh, most of the stuff that uh, Ben already read for us, but we're gonna go back and read it again. So again, it's the end of Matthew. This is the final words recorded uh, about Jesus by Matthew in his gospel. So in Matthew chapter 28, we read these words. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, 
to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So today, as we look at this text, what we're, what we're going to do is we're going to start with the words of Jesus because there's a bunch of stuff we're not going to touch. We're not going to have an opportunity to talk about how they went and again to see the resurrected Jesus. We're not going to talk about how when they saw the resurrected Jesus, they fell on their faces and worshiped. We don't have time to talk about that. We don't have time to talk about the fact that even as that happened, some of them doubted and didn't. And yet Jesus didn't scream at them. We're not going to talk about that either. You'll have to figure that one out on your own. Here's where we're going to start. We're going to start with the words of Jesus. What is it that he said? He started with this statement. Before he gives any command, before he goes off and tells them what there are to do, he says this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus says that, that everywhere that there is, is under my authority. He's not saying, I have authority in heaven, I have authority on earth, and if there's another third or fourth place, I don't have authority over there. It's a totality of everything. When you see heaven and earth anywhere in scripture, it's everything. It's a way of saying all of it. And as Jesus says this, it's an incredible fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Daniel chapter seven, verse 14. Daniel looks ahead and he, to the coming son of man, and he says this. And to him, the coming Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus is the King of Kings. Jesus is the Lord of Lords. Jesus is the teacher of all teachers. He is the influencer of all influencers. He is the way and he is the life. He is the King of Kings. And he doesn't ask it. He doesn't ask us to affirm it. He just declares that it's true. Deal with it. Because it's true. And it's out of that authority that he gives this imperative, this, this command to his disciples. He says, I have this authority. Now go, make disciples. Go, everything that I've done in you and through you and, and around you and you've seen and you've heard for the last three years, now go and do it. Go and do that in others. It's almost as if he's saying, because all power belongs to me, everywhere, go and tell everyone. Go and tell everyone that the good news of Jesus is that the king has come, the kingdom is here, and the gates are open to everyone. Go. Tell people this news. And as he tells that, because we got to figure out what that looks like, we got to know what that means, 
He gives us five characteristics of a disciple of Jesus. Not a disciple of any other teacher, not a disciple of a certain way, but the disciple of Jesus. Now, again, these are not uh, things that qualify you to become a disciple. You've got to check the boxes before you can become, but rather, what does it look like? What, are the true, what is true of a disciple? And it begins in verse 19. When he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The very first characteristic that he says, this is what a disciple looks like. A disciple is baptized. Now, if you've been around the church world for any length of time, you know that the issue of baptism has been discussed a lot. And people and denominations have fallen to different understandings of what baptism is, what it looks like, and why you do it, and, and, and how it's supposed to be done. Right? There's conversations. Do we baptize infants? Do we baptize kids when they're a little bit older? Do you baptize adults? When do you baptize? Do you do full immersion? Dunk them down in water, or can we put it on the head? It always, a lot of the conversation always boils down to when and how much water. And despite all the conversation, there are a few things that are common and consistent across all the conversations. And the first thing is this. We do it. We baptize. You know why? Because Jesus said so. Enough said. Jesus said you baptize. And so therefore, baptism is what the church does. It's what his disciples do. All right? The other thing that we recognize is that almost every conversation around baptism is connected to coming into the kingdom of God. It's, it's tied to it somehow in all the conversations. See, baptism is tied to entrance into the kingdom. First characteristic of a disciple of Jesus is that they are a part of the kingdom of God. Well, how does one do that? It's worthy of a quick pause, despite my time. How is one a part of the kingdom of God? It's a question that was asked of the Apostle Paul. And he gave nice, clear answers twice. One time in Acts, when he meets a jailer, and the jailer asks him the question, what must I do to be saved? And in Acts chapter 16, Paul responds with, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved you and your whole household. Believe in the Lord Jesus. And then in the book of Romans, a letter to the church in Rome where Paul lays out a lot more theology and doctrine behind what the Christian faith is about and this following Jesus thing looks like. He says this in Romans 10, that if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Believing not that just that Jesus was a person, not 
just believing that Jesus came or that he lived or that he died, but believing that his death ransomed you and rescued you from a dominion of darkness, as Paul writes in Colossians, and rescues you to the kingdom of his son. Do you believe that? Not that Jesus is just a teacher worthy of following, but that he is the king worth following and submitting to. Do you believe Jesus did that? If you did, you're a part of the kingdom. And before I move on from this real quick, if that's you, have you been baptized? See, there's a danger. I don't know if danger is the right word. I've got to be careful with that. But there's, there's a, maybe a side consequence that happens when, when we as a church baptize infants, which we believe the Scripture teaches. We can get into that later. But when, when that happens, there are adults that come a part of our church that believe, come to faith in Jesus Christ. But because we baptize babies, either they don't think we would baptize adults or they don't want to be baptized because they don't want to be the non-baby being baptized. Let me just tell you this. God has a beautiful gift for you. And there's no greater joy for us as a church, us as a congregation, than to bring people to the Lord in baptism. So if you haven't been baptized, you take that little white card that's in that connection card that's in your bulletin, you write on there, I want to be baptized. You come find me afterwards, you send us an email. I don't care how you want to get a hold of us. But God has a beautiful gift and the first characteristic of being a disciple of Jesus is that they're baptized. But then he goes on from there. Baptizing and teaching. Jesus does a lot of teaching uh, in the Gospels. If you watch his life as he works through it, he, he spends his life with 12 men to teach them and, and hundreds, thousands of people come to him and hear his teaching. But these 12, they have such a unique place to hear the teachings of Jesus. Because not only do they hear his words, the same words we get to hear, they see his eyes. They see the way he looks at the people that are coming to him. They, they hear the tone of voice that we just kind of have to figure out or guess. They heard it all. They saw him touch the lepers. They saw him function in life. They spent 12 years watching, the or the three years watching the unfolding drama of the redemption by God with Jesus at the center of that unfolding story. Can you imagine having that level of teaching? I mean, Pastor Ben's a good preacher, but sit under Jesus. And yet after three years, they still didn't get it all, did they? They still didn't fully understand all the things that Jesus was saying to them. Which should give us all hope. Right? If you have been around the scriptures and you've been around the church and you've been around all this stuff and there's still things you don't understand, welcome to the club. We're all working on it. We're all still figuring everything out. But a disciple of Jesus is taught. And God still teaches today. 
It's why we come to worship when it's 80 below zero. We come because we're going to be taught the word of God. It's why we gather in small groups, whether it be a Sunday school class or in somebody's home, to open up the word and to be taught. It's why we read it at home so we can be taught. We can learn about all the things that Jesus said and how it all ties together from page one to the end. God still teaches today. So they are baptized, they are taught. Third characteristic is they obey. You know, I think often when we read the, the, the text that we have in front of us, we're going to see baptizing them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them everything I have said to you. And we skip over the word obey. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that we want to be careful not to slide into some understanding that obeying somehow gets you into the kingdom. So, so we don't want to sound like, well, you, we have to be careful how much we talk about how much you obey. Jesus said it unapologetically, obey my teachings. If you've heard it, if you have found me worthy of following, then submit your life to my teaching. Obey it. We have to remember that when we obey, it results in others coming to Jesus Christ. Because we become that salt and light in this world. When we obey, we have conversations that maybe are a little bit outside our comfort zone. But as we obey the things that Jesus has said, others are going to come. Others will be baptized. But as we obey, it also helps our spiritual growth. We can grow, and we know the scriptures more. We have an understanding better because we're obeying through it. Growth is a natural part of the disciple. You listen to the teachings and you obey them. One of the illustrations that Paul uses is this idea of going from uh, milk to solid foods, right? There's a natural progression. Those of you who have had children, have children, you know the process. It starts with the formula and the milk, and then you move to the mushy stuff out of the can, right? And then you go to the little finger foods, the Cheerios and the other stuff that dissolves up in your mouth. Then eventually, you're cutting little tiny chunks of all the food, and they're eating the solid foods, and before long, you have a tiny human sitting there eating the same food you are. Can you imagine a 15-year-old that's still living on baby formula? That doesn't work. There's a progression. There is a growth to life. There is a progression. There is a growth in Jesus Christ. So we're taught and we obey the disciple of Jesus obeys the teachings of Jesus. Number four, we're going back to the beginning now. Therefore, go. There is a, a command that Jesus gives the disciples. It's not the first time he's given the command. In the discipling process, as they've been walking with him for three years, he sent them out. He sends out the 12. He sends out the 70. He sends them out. They've heard the teachings of Jesus. They go tell people the teachings of Jesus, and they do incredible things in the name of Jesus. This isn't new to them. They're not standing there at Matthew 28 going, wow, I've never thought of this before. They've done it. But he's telling it to them now. Again, go. Go and make disciples. He tells us the same thing. Go. 
There's an intentionality that happens when we respond to the go. We don't drift through life. There's a purpose. It's to make disciples, which involves bringing them in and bringing them along. Bringing them in. We're going to talk about more of that in a, in a couple of weeks when we talk about evangelism and sharing the good news of Jesus. The bring along, helping people grow, teaching them the things that Jesus has said and what that means for life. Often this text becomes the evangelistic text to go to the world, and it is absolutely that. But we need to remember that the teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, it's about making disciples. Moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, listen. That's you in your home. Intentionally making disciples of the children that God has entrusted to you. Loving them enough to make sure they understand and teaching them the obey part and teaching them the gospel part. So they know Jesus. And they know that he's worthy of following but in older years, they submit their lives to Jesus Christ. This is an evangelistic text, but it is more than an evangelistic text. Being intentional with those that God has placed in our lives to bring in and to bring along in the good news of Jesus. And finally, the fifth characteristic of a disciple is that they are never alone. Stories told of a, of a dad and a son. They're working on a house project, and the son is about four, three, four. So the son is there helping. You dads know how a four-year-old son can help. Get lemonade, hold the screw, you know, things like that, right? Well, they're working on a project, and, and so the dad sends the son off and says, hey, run to the other room and go grab the circular saw. It wasn't plugged in. Go grab that saw and bring it back. So the son runs away, and like two minutes later, the son comes back empty-handed. And dad says, I said go get the saw. Run and go get the saw. So the kid turns around, runs back to the other room, and another two, three minutes passes, and the kid comes back in empty-handed again. Now he does what no other dad ever does. The frustration begins to boil. Right, dads, we never have that issue. Just in the illustrations only. The frustration begins to boil. I said to get the saw. Go grab the saw. So the kid turns around, slowly walks back to the room again, and yet again comes back empty-handed. Dad's frustration hits another level. I said grab, what is wrong? Why won't you grab the saw? Grab the saw. And he looks at his son with a tear developing in the corner of his eye. He said, Dad, it's too heavy. I can't lift it. Dad's heart just sinks. He gets up off the floor, grabs the son's hand. They walk into the other room, and the two of them together reach down and grab the saw, and the two of them together carry the saw back to the place in which they are working. Sometimes, I don't know how you read it, but sometimes I read texts like this 
And on the surface, they go, yeah, yeah, that's what we got to do. We're going we're to go and we're going to make disciples and we're going to bring them in and we're going to bring them along and I'm going to do that in my house. And I'm going to do that with the people that I get a chance to talk to, my neighbors and my coworkers. And then you leave this place and you go out there and you go, ooh, this is a lot harder than I was expecting it to be. See, sometimes when we read a text like this, it's a pretty heavy lift. But we're not sent off to go do it on our own. Jesus says, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to help you lift. And I'm going to help you carry this load. There is not a place, there is not a time, there's nothing, there's not a moment in which we will be walking in this life that Jesus is not standing by our side, helping and guiding us through it all. We are never left alone to do the thing that he has called us, the imperative, the command that he has given us. He says, I'm with you all the way to the end. So Triumph has a purpose statement. It says we're going to be about worship. We're going to be about discipleship. We're going to be about care. We're going to be about evangelism. But here's my encouragement for you. As much as this is Triumph's statement that we're going to use as a congregation and we're going to figure life out and we're going to try to do things well as a, as a church, this is about you. This is about me. Am I worshiping? Do I find that God is worthy of my worship? Am I discipling? Is Jesus worthy of being followed and am I helping others follow? Am I caring for other people? Am I sharing the good news of Jesus Christ? As we walk through this journey, we have the promise of the risen Savior that says, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray. God, thanks for giving a promise when you give the command. Because I will confess that hearing the command is really hard to go do it. Jesus, often our desire for growth, our desire to be taught, our desire to obey, our desire to go exceeds our ability to be taught, obey, and go. Thank you for not sending us off to carry a load that we cannot carry. God, as we walk out these doors and as we live life in our homes, as we live life in our workplaces, as we live life in our recreation places, Holy Spirit, would you remind us of the intentionality of discipleship? May all we do bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to rise. 
Hey, I'm Pastor Doug. I, I just want to take a minute and to say thank you for downloading or, or streaming this content today. We try and pray that it will transform your heart and draw you closer to Jesus Christ. I have three quick thoughts that I just want to share with you and it'll, it'll only take a minute. First, we'd love to connect with you. If you'd be willing, visit our website at triumphlbc.org slash connect and let us know how we can reach out to you. Or, or you can visit triumphlbc.org slash events to find an activity that you could jump into. Second, we hope that you see this content as supplementary in your walk with Jesus. Our, our digital content isn't really designed to be a replacement for belonging and engaging with a gospel community, whether that's here at Triumph or another church. And third, we invest a lot into producing this content and it's used to bless people like you and others all over our community. If this or really any of our other resources that you find online have been a blessing to you, would you consider giving? It's because of your generosity that we're able to continue creating and serving online. Thanks again and may the Lord bless you.